Hey, this is Tad, and welcome to Sermon Notes. I'm sitting down with Garland Autry, who's going to be teaching us this Sunday on Daniel chapters 10 through 12. And if you've been following us in this series on Daniel, my first question, Garland, is why are we skipping chapter 9? Yeah, we're out of order. Um, we're going to be uh, kind of jumping around here, and there was a reason for that. Um, we're gonna we're gonna skip chapter nine essentially. We're gonna come back to chapter nine in the next two weeks. We're coming back to it. We're gonna come back. Yeah, we're, we're not we're it. not ignoring chapter nine. Uh, one of the reasons that we have done this is we wanted uh, chapter nine is gonna give us an expectation of Messiah coming and Messiah being cut off. And uh, for many uh, New Testament scholars, they see that being fulfilled when Jesus comes in his first coming. And so we're actually going to let that build our Daniel study to the anticipation of Jesus's coming and being cut off, which will be leading us up to Palm Sunday and Easter. So we're actually Mm. timing it out so that Daniel 9 and that prediction, that prophecy... Um, Tee us up to celebrate. Yeah, it'll, it'll get us right to the Easter, uh, kind of Easter week. And so, um, yes, out of then, order, um, but there was a reason. So reason. Uh, you it's type A's out there that yeah. are like, what in the world? <laughs> Y'all did Daniel 2 and 7, then 3 yeah. and 7. What is going on? Well, Daniel's on? a strange... It's weird. It's anyway. weird enough as so, it is, and we made it weirder for you. We yeah. apologize. Uh, but yeah, we have a doozy this week, three whole chapters. Okay. Tell us then what's going on in chapters 10 through 12. Um, yeah, I drew the short straw, it seems, and I got this teaching. Uh, I'm actually really excited about it, but it's a lot to cover. And uh, uh, this is going to be a, maybe a longer sermon notes than normal in the sense that uh, there's just a lot that, that we're not going to get to cover on Sunday morning. And uh, as I've been working on it, I'm just slicing and dicing this sermon down to size. We only have 30 minutes. I'll probably go long. Sorry, Burton. Um, and but it's you? just tr- yeah. No, no, no way. You. I never go long. Uh, so just trying to get this thing into 30 minutes will be a, will be a challenge. So there's gonna be a lot we don't we don't cover. Let me give you the 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 summary. Then we'll dive into some of the things that that we don't get time for on Sunday. The summary is really simple. Daniel is. Uh, uh, a new vision begins in chapter 10, and uh, he receives a heavenly uh, visitor, a heavenly messenger. An angel shows up and begins to talk to him. That's chapter 10. Some of the details of chapter 10 freak people out, um, and I understand why. We'll talk about that in a minute. But 10 is essentially the the heavenly visitor shows up and begins um, by telling Daniel why he was delayed, we might say. Mm-hmm. We'll, cover, we'll talk about that back in a minute. Um, and then chapter 11, verse 2, we might say, is the the message proper, really. 11 verse 2 through 12 verse 3, you'll notice is basically one long block quote given by this angel. So all of this is a message, a heavenly message from a heavenly messenger. And uh, this angel is going to talk about uh, basically geopolitical events um, that took place in uh, the ancient Persian and Greek worlds, and uh, we'll talk about. There's some debate on that, and we'll we'll come back in a minute because I will not have I will have no time to talk about that on Sunday. Mm-hmm. The vision ends though in chapter 12, verse four, um, with the the angel saying, "But don't worry, um, there's there's a confidence of victory." is coming. Uh, Michael will, the angel, Michael, will secure victory for you. And one day, those who are wise, the ones who have fallen, the ones who have been martyred, the ones who have suffered for their faithfulness to Yahweh will be resurrected. Um, It's this picture of resurrection that we see at the end of Daniel 12, uh, verse 4 at least, of this vision. And he's told to seal the vision up. Um, 
What follows to conclude the book is Daniel has one final vision. These are all separate, we might say, experiences that Daniel had maybe uh, many years apart that have been kind of distilled together into the form of Daniel as we have it now. So 12.5 and following is actually a different experience that Daniel has, and here he has a vision of two different angels. Again, angels, very common in apocalyptic literature, and uh, these angels tell him, uh, essentially, be ready. Um, and so they give him some indication with some numbers at the end. And uh, everything after 12-4, I will speak on none of it on Sunday because okay. we just don't have time. Uh, and so we're going to highlight on Sunday, by, some, by way of summary here, chapter 10 will be uh, what I'm going to call the spiritual battle. There's more than meets the eye. Chapter 11, I'm going to call the historical battle. Uh, there's confidence that God's people should have that Yahweh's in control, even over kingdoms when they rage and it seems like things have gotten bad. And then chapter 12, there's a, there's a reward, and the reward is resurrection is coming. Uh, we're going to end it with this strange uh, note, seal this up, seal this up. In fact, uh, many apocalyptic uh, literature, uh, pieces of apocalyptic literature in the Second Temple period, the period of when Jesus was uh, on the earth, many of these apocalypses uh, say seal it up. Well, one of them, though, is very unique, and it's the one in our New Testament where uh, we have a sealed scroll that no one can open, and then all of a sudden a lamb is presented that can open the scroll. And that's actually how Revelation uh, kind of builds the rising action in the book of Revelation. So, yeah, it is picking story. up that theme of okay. this has always been sealed, but now when Jesus' death and resurrection is it's being that, opened. That's the question. So if I'm looking at chapter 12 here, that, that, that kind of break between ch- verse 4 and 5, uh, is that break being interpreted because it says seal up the book? Because uh, if, if you're reading along, maybe you see it seems like it picks up where there's the two others talk to the man that he was already speaking to who was clothed in yeah, linen. Yeah, Is it just a, it, it's kind of a continuation, though, maybe at a different time? Or yeah, is notice, this, just is notice. It, and, and is it a different time, or is, do they show up? The same uh, vision, but maybe with same, a different Yeah, same point. vision, but okay. notice, it's a long, 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 long quote. And then something has changed. Um, okay. Now, is it a different occasion? Potentially, maybe not. Maybe just as Daniel is experiencing this vision, focus has shifted. Yeah, now okay. definitely something. We have new characters right. onto the scene. Okay, yeah, yeah. and new uh, chapter. It's a new, Almost, yeah, a we new, might say new, a new chapter. Okay, um, and so, but one of the reasons we want to just give a summary here is just notice as you cover this in your small group or in discipleship that uh, much of this material, including all, all of chapter eleven, is just one long speech mm-hmm. given by an angel. Mm-hmm. A little weird for us to uh, Daniel, and so uh, and it's recorded for us. It's supposed to give confidence to God's people that Yahweh's in control. Okay. Um, now that's the summary. Yeah. <laughs> and oh my gosh, there's, there's a lot of scrolling yeah. through. So many questions <laughs> jump off the page. Uh, can I ask a random one? Please. Uh, chapter ten. Uh, it says that the angel, when he's describing him, has uh, eyes like blazing torches and feet like bronze, mm-hmm. and that's a description that Jesus used to describe himself in Revelation. Mm-hmm. And so. Uh, yeah, what's what do that? we do is with that? that? Yeah. Is, it the, yeah. is this the angel Michael, or is this mm-hmm. uh, kind of a pre-vision of Jesus? Mm-hmm. Um, so as as you read Daniel 10, especially there, verse 4 through 6, uh, that will begin to, uh, if you're a, you know an astute Bible reader, you'll have alarm bells start to go off. Uh, that's uh, We see this regularly, um, both in apocalyptic literature to describe angelic 
messengers like here. Mm. Um, we also see it to describe the throne room where Yahweh sits. We see this in places like Ezekiel and Isaiah 6. We see this in Revelation. And so the author of Revelation is picking up on a very common convention. Mm. And uh, sometimes in apocalyptic literature, when you see this kind of language, this is a way to describe a heavenly messenger. If you go look mm. in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 10, uh, we have an angel presented, and it's it says a strong angel, and then it goes and explains, it describes his legs and his arms. It's a very regular motif. Okay. Uh, because Jesus is described in such similar terms, some, we might say like Christian scholars, would see that Daniel 10, 4 to 6, that this must be Jesus, and then a different figure shows up later. Okay. Uh, I think that's probably... Kind of like what John's doing in Revelation. Jesus shows up as the heavenly messenger, yeah, if you will, yeah. for the apocalyptic um, genre, and then I, I an think, angel. I think the reader of Daniel... W- I don't think the reader of Daniel could anticipate that. Okay, um, that's and fair. So, so let Daniel um, speak about Daniel. Yeah, it's I think the, does the author of Revelation pick up a similar motif or a similar uh, way to categorize the heavenly messenger, but now say, but I turned and it was Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what makes Revelation so that interesting. Cool. Yeah, is it's, that it's fascinating, confusing yeah, all at once. Yeah, usually it's an angel doing this, and mm-hmm. when he turns around in Revelation, he sees not an angel, but the divine one Jesus speaking himself. to him. Okay. And so um, we might say... This is a category that we see a lot in the Old Testament or in apocalyptic literature that Jesus both fits into and but also it blows it up it to a whole new yeah, realm. It doesn't necessarily um, fit, but it's yeah, maybe little foreshadowings. Yeah. But some some okay. scholars, to your point, do do think that because the language is so similar that this must be a pre-Christmas Jesus vision that Daniel's experiencing. And then uh, the the messenger that shows up after this, which most people think is Gabriel. Uh, Gabriel's in chapter 8. He's going to show up in chapter 9. He's here in chapter 10. And by the way, the language he says when he addresses Daniel here in verse 11, oh, Daniel, man of high esteem. It just so happens he loves... Whoever this figure is, I think it's Gabriel, because he loves to address people that way. Go see Luke 1, you when he shows value. up that's yeah, similar shows up to Mary. Yeah, that's we cool. know that one's Gabriel, and he okay. says, you are highly esteemed. And so um, probably this is the named angel Gabriel, who Daniel is standing before. And what's weird about chapter 10, and I'm going to acknowledge this in the sermons, we don't have to spend a lot of time here, is this is going to be a, a paradigm shift for us as uh, you know, Western mm-hmm. uh, post-Enlightenment um, rational uh, thinkers, we have a hard time seeing in our world the spiritual and the supernatural, and we just have to, uh, we have to enter into the imagination of the biblical author, the biblical world, Um, and in that imagination, in that understanding of the world, there are uh, spiritual forces all over the place, and here we're going to see this language of the prince. Uh, I was detained by the prince of Persia and the king of Persia was facing against me and but then Michael your prince came and helped all this language is referring almost certainly to what we would call the the Old Testament would call these spirit beings uh Elohim there's Sons different words God, for these figures okay. and uh I, we would call them by the time you get to the New Testament we flatten this language out Good ones we call angels, bad ones we <laughs> okay. call demons. Um, but the Bible recognizes a supernatural world, and one of the things I'm going to call our attention to on Sunday is when we see language like this, we have to enter into the biblical worldview, which is when I see things in our world, um, broken things, unjust things, uh, nation states warring against each other, and things in individual lives, mm. the Bible's going to say we have a more robust answer than just a material one. Mm. There's more than meets the eye, and that there's a spiritual 
darkness. There's forces of darkness in our world. I actually think, now as weird as that may sound, and if, <laughs> if you're listening to this and you've got maybe some skeptics in your small group, or maybe you've got a, a, a brother or a friend that's a non-believer, I fully expect them to hear language like this and be like, come on, really? Mm-hmm. Here would be my challenge to the skeptic, or maybe if somebody's listening to this, and I'll make this point on Sunday. The Bible makes a makes a robust assertion about injustice and evil in our world. Mm. And it says it's not just economic, medical, political forces at work in natural selection. There is a darkness in our world. And when we see a lot mm. of the things in our world, I think we underst- I think we actually intuit that. You feel that a little yeah. bit of like something isn't how it should be, and mm-hmm. I don't know how I know that, but mm-hmm. I, it just feels off. Now, one of the things mm. we got to understand, and I'm not going to... This is the, some of the things I had to cut on Sunday. When we see language about these... The Prince of Persia, the Prince mm-hmm. of Greece, and all this stuff. These angels. Yeah, like are there certain angels? Yeah, what's go- what is going on here? Like yeah, kind of their mm-hmm. almost like guardian angel yeah. type language, I guess. Yeah, uh, I had full slides for this, and they've all got <laughs> cut. So let's do it here on okay. sermon notes. Yeah. Um, first thing, if you're listening to this, you need to get your Bible out and turn with us. Uh, if you go to Deuteronomy 32, and uh, uh, I'll, I'll read for us. Uh, actually, uh, Tad, read for us Deuteronomy uh, 32. Verses, uh, let's do verses uh, six to eight. 32, six to eight. Is this the way you repay the Lord, you foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? Remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your father and he will tell you, your elders, and they will explain to you. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind, he set up boundaries for the people according to the number of the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob is his allotted inheritance. Okay, so uh, the key phrase here, and uh, if you notice there in verse 8, when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, that's probably hearkening us back to Genesis 11, when uh, the, the people come together at the Tower of Babel. Table of Nations, yeah, is that what it's called? Yeah, or uh, Genesis 10 and 11, 10 11 they make yeah. a name for themselves. Mm-hmm. Instead, Yahweh scatters them into the nations, and mm-hmm. our, our author here wants us to be reflecting on that, and he, he says, yeah, okay. he sets the boundaries of the people. Now, this is the key phrase, and most Bibles will give a footnote on this. According to the number of the sons of, what did you have? Uh, Israel, right? Sons of Israel. Yeah, the ESV will say the sons of God. Uh, the Net Bible will say sons of God. The NIV and the NASB are still translating sons of Israel. Um, our, our manuscript evidence is divided here, uh, and probably the most the, the, the best translation is most likely sons of Elohim, B'nai Elohim in Hebrew, okay. the sons of God. Those in the category of yeah. spiritual beings. Yeah, so okay. just like Jesus is the son of man, he's one of a mankind, okay. the sons of God is one of the, one of the God. Elohim. Now, when we hear Elohim, or when we Spirit hear God, beings. we think G-O-D, God sure. out there. To say gods or God in uh, in the Old Testament is to reference a category of being, a spirit mm-hmm. beings, namely. Okay. Um, and so, what this is seemingly saying is, when Yahweh spread the people out and He set their boundaries, He did so according to the number of the sons of Elohim, these mm-hmm. spirit beings. And then verse nine is instructive for Yahweh, though. For his portion is his people, and Jacob is his inheritance. There's a special place that Israel and Jacob have in Yahweh's world. Um, Now, here's what is so, and I told you this is going to get weird. Uh, (laughs) In Psalm 82, so go over to Psalm 82. Sermon note listener, I apologize. Uh, You're getting the weird wild (laughs) ride here. Uh, So the handful of you that make it this far, uh, we're going even farther. Um, Psalm 82. Um, in this psalm, it begins this way. Uh, El, God, 
takes a stand in his congregation. He judges in the midst of, what do you have there? Gods. In the midst of the Elohim. Gods. So God is bringing judgment to the gods, these mm-hmm. spirit beings, these, these category of beings that are immaterial spirit. We call them now angels and demons, angels but and demons. the way that the Old Testament, gods. yeah, God, okay. Elohim, gods. He Which says, if you were interacted with some sort of spiritual being, you would, you would, you'd think this is some kind of a God figure. Gods. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. It's a way to speak about this class of okay. being. Okay. How long, verse two, this is a judgment on the gods. The spirit beings, will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Vindicate the weak and the fatherless. Do justice. We get the sense that they're instead bringing corruption and injustice into the world. Um, He says, they don't know these Elohim. They don't understand. They walk in darkness. The foundations of the earth are shaken. Yahweh says, you are Elohim, gods. Um, And all of you are sons of the Most High, but you will die like men. Don't get arrogant, you Elohim, you gods. Um, this is strange for us. I recognize we don't think in terms of spirit beings and powers, but let me take us to the New Testament. Paul will say in Ephesians 6, don't you know our, pow- our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against mm-hmm. the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places? Uh, and he'll say, uh, that's where our battle is. And so as, uh, the reason we're spending time on this, as uh, Bible thinking, Bible worldview creating, Jesus followers, Yahweh followers in our church, we are acknowledging, we recognize a spiritual realm in the world. And I think it actually gives us a more robust Mm. picture of uh, evil and injustice, but it's a strange thing. Yeah, no, it is. I guess even kind of bring it back to Daniel then, it seems that the angel is giving Daniel a sense of, yes, the powers of Babylon are evil and corrupt and unjust, but the, there is a truer and worse enemy behind the powers. You, you use the like even the term geopolitical events. All of these yeah. things happening. There is a there is a darker and kind of more mm-hmm. cosmic reality beyond that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, apparently sh- they fight each other. Yeah, and yeah. We can't see it. This and, shouldn't surprise us because what is the fall? If you remember, what is the fall? Genesis chapter 3, you have a, uh, a serpent, but a serpent's a way to represent in ancient Near Eastern, in the ancient Near Eastern world, serpents are often depicted as the guardian cherubs around a deity. Here comes a, a spirit being represented as a serpent, a serpent, and he speaks. It's not because it's a weird talking snake. It's because this is a way to represent a spirit being, and it's coming to thwart and, and tempt. in a place like the Garden of Eden, a, they, yeah, may have, yeah. they may have expected mm-hmm. to see spiritual mm-hmm. beings in this place. Totally. Kind yeah. of overlapped totally. heaven and earth. Okay. Ezekiel 28 would tell us that. Okay. Um, and what do we have? We What I call what I like to call the, the unholy union mm. of the spiritual and the human in rebellion against Yahweh. That's on page three. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, that's, so that's, that's a category that's the we fall, have from right? early on. Yeah, uh, you yeah. look at Genesis 6, okay. the Nephilim. What's mm. going on here? Something Spirit like this. Spirit okay, beings yeah. and human. Like, <laughs> as we begin to see it more and more, I recognize most of us live like naturalists with mm. a twist. We are naturalists, meaning we think that there's only natural explanations for things, but we put Virgin we, birth and resurrection yeah, yeah. in there, and we call it good. We maybe have some category of an afterlife, but that's yeah, really where the yeah, spiritual yeah, stuff Yeah, soul begins. or something. Okay. But we don't live like... People. Let me ask kind of a practical question. Yeah, okay. please. So I guess there's maybe two ways you can go with this because it, it, I feel like maybe we all maybe know some people who maybe tend to over-spiritualize things. And it is like you said of like, yes, like there there are certain injustices in the world around us, uh, economic, racial, et cetera. 
And on one hand, there would be a ditch where you could over-spiritualize that and do nothing. Like I got a flat tire two days it ago. It must be a demon. And it must yeah. be a the flat tire demon, like <laughs> the, tire, demon the car demon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the yeah. other hand, you could completely ignore it. Like you said, we probably mostly do. We've got to have a little mm-hmm. more naturalist way. So how do you, what do you think is maybe a, a truer, better Christian way that we ought mm-hmm. to navigate this sense of... Yeah. C.S. Lewis in Screwtape has a great quote, and he says this, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about, he says, the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. He has a way of saying things. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that we have to walk the tension, walk the line between we are supernaturalists. And when we see things happening in our world, do we pray, Yahweh, please bring goodness to the world. Help me to bring goodness to the world and defeat these powers. Jesus, thank you for defeating these powers on the cross. Um, one of the things that's fascinating about Jesus, remember there's 70 nations described in Genesis 10 and Yah- Yahweh Apparently, in Deuteronomy, tells us that he scattered them based on the sons of Elohim. Now, remember, Jesus sends out um, he sends out his seventy mm. uh, messengers in the New Testament. He sends out his disciples by the number seventy, and when they come back, they say, "Jesus, we we cast out demons, we healed in your name." People, it was amazing. They responded, and he said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. Jesus is presupposing this worldview. It's uploaded in his mind. And what he thinks he's doing, and we should see this, is not just purchasing our salvation, enabling us to be forgiven. He's pushing back against the darkness in the world. And that's unbelievably profound Mm. where we could fall into error, to answer your question, if we think we're only fighting a material battle. I think that's Paul's corrective. He says, you got to pull on the full armor of God, don't you know? Mm. But our battle's not against flesh and blood. And sometimes I think I have a tendency to, to downplay that or just miss it altogether, just ignore it. And I don't pray uh, with that kind of urgency. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't want to have an, uh, uh, a hyper emphasis to think that every sickness is now a demon. We have natural uh, medicine that we can learn as a common grace. But there is a... There's a, a, a line that I think we have to walk, mm-hmm. and uh, that's one of the reasons we're having feels, this discussion. It feels very much, <laughs> uh, as we're saying all this, it feels very in line with much of the, the theme we've had through this Esther and Daniel series of uh, yeah, the, totally. the tension of living in it as an exile, of there's mm-hmm. something bigger going on beyond this, and yet I have to do something, and yet that doesn't mean trying to seize back control. Yeah. It also doesn't mean run and hide. It means... Yeah. The faithful presence. Yeah. As we practice the way, we have to recognize there's a spiritual part to this, and uh, we need to see that. Uh, There's another huge thing that in chapter 11, and I'll try to be uh, uh, brief here, in in Daniel 11, there's a significant debate. Now, let me give you the the backstory here. Daniel 11, it's very, it's, 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 it's not easy to see, but then when you know the history, it becomes very easy to see. Look at chapter 2, I mean, 11 verse 2. Um, he's talking about the future of the Persian Empire. But then he says, um, what's going to happen after is a mighty king will arise, a strong one who will, run, who will arise from Greece. And this king, verse 3, a mighty king, we can look historically and know with certainty, this was referring to Alexander the Great. In the 330s BC, Alexander the Great uh, will fulfill this role. And then in chapter, uh, in chapter 11, verse 4, uh, it were told this, as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom will be broken up and parceled out toward the four points of the compass. 
Now, we know historically looking at it that Alexander the Great, after his death, his kingdom was divided into four, we might call them provinces or states. And what happened is it wasn't as if it was all great then. They had a little constitution. They were all together. It was the United States. No, no, no. All these kings of those four states, they wanted power. And so what happened is they began to fight. And especially the ones that were uh, the people for, or uh, the the Jews in this in this particular period were interested in the two kingdoms that were uh, situated around them. And that uh, the historically we can look back and see that these are two different states or provinces of the Greek Empire, and they are constantly at war. One of them is referred to the kings of the north. So all the rest of chapter eleven, you're going to see. Kings of the north versus kings of the south. That's basically Syria today and Egypt today, and they're constantly battling. Guess who's in between there? Israel. And it's going to lead to, verse 21, a really, really, really bad figure. So kings of the north, kings of the south, it's actually a couple hundred-year period that goes by there. It's hard to read because you're like, I don't know who this is. I don't know who that is. Commentaries will give you the exact people that are being referred to here. It actually maps amazingly onto history. Mm. But then in 21, we get a, a new figure onto the scene. He's called a contemptible person um, or a, a despicable, yeah, a yeah, despicable, yeah, yeah, yeah. A despicable person, person. Um, in verse 21. Oh. And this despicable person is, uh, is a very particular person in Jewish history that's really significant, but we don't know much about him, but Jesus would have, Paul would have. Uh, it's referring to a guy by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes IV. Uh, you're on sermon notes, you've made it this far, we might as well keep going. Uh, Antiochus Epiphanes IV was a Greek king, a Greek ruler. He hated the Jews. Uh, this, And if you read what follows, it gives some of his story, but you can notice the language used about him. Uh, Antiochus forbid... Uh, the, he forbid circumcision. He forbid uh, Sabbath keeping. He forced Jews to eat non-kosher food. He put a Zeus idol in the temple on in Jerusalem, and he sac- had pigs sacrificed on the altar before the temple, which were unclean animals to the Jews. He sent messengers out to the different cities in Israel and said, "You must bow down before this." Uh, kind of a traveling Zeus statue, we might say, idol. And if you don't, we will kill you. And Jews lined up to do so because you have to go along to get along. And that man, Antiochus Epiphanes IV, in his arrogance, he desecrates the temple. It lied under the, it lay under this desecration for three and a half years. And that three and a half years caused such an anger among the people of Israel that some began to revolt. Those ones that revolted that's your story of Hanukkah. We don't celebrate Hanukkah, but uh, the revolt was uh, taken place by a guy named Mattathias and his sons. One of his sons was the guy named Judas Maccabeus. Okay, so it means Judas Maccabees. the Hammer. So the Maccabees. Okay. Uh, if you're what from a, a Catholic, name. yeah, Judas the Hammer. The I hammer. wish I was Garland the Hammer, uh. but alas, uh, my name <laughs> is what you wrap your staircase in at Christmas time. A very masculine name. Um, so the Maccabean revolt, they storm to Jerusalem, they take back the temple, they rededicate it for Yahweh, and because it had been three and a half years, will there be enough oil to light the lamp inside the temple? We might only have enough oil for one day, and instead it, it went for a full eight days. That's Hanukkah. Okay. And so chapter 11 tells the backdrop of that story, and it's building to this point in verse 33. Daniel is saying, have perspective. Even when you fall by the sword, even when you are killed, this is a very regular point in Daniel, just know it will work for your refinement. It works to purify you, because he's going to say in 12, resurrection's coming. So the point in Daniel 11 is don't freak out when nations rage around you, including these really bad pagan ones, Yahweh's still in control. And even if you die, 
you're still on the winning side. That's the point of Daniel chapter 11, the angel saying, Daniel, be wise. Even when you fall by the sword, you'll be purified. And it's a long roundabout way, kings of the north, kings of the south, kings of the north, to describe those events. Where the debate centers is at verse 36. Uh, there is a significant debate about verse 36 and following or 40 and following. Mm. Some scholars see that verse 36 and following describes somebody different than Antiochus Epiphanes IV, a different figure who is worse than Antiochus. And those scholars reading verse 36 and following would say that this must refer not to a king of Greece in the ancient world, but a coming king who will be the epitome of everything wicked and evil. And they would then map this onto some kind of an antichrist figure in the future. And so they would be looking at Daniel chapter 11, picking up in verse 36 and saying, this is the Antichrist. Usually they map that onto uh, Daniel 9, this abomination of desolation, Daniel 7, this little horn. And they say, this is, to, this is talking about an end times figure who will be like Antiochus Epiphanes, but way worse. Some think that uh, 36 to 39 is still talking about the historical figure, but verse 40 begins to talk about a future Antichrist figure. Um, and so it kind of depends if you think it's the yeah, king of the south exactly. of the yeah, king of the north. It basically depends on what you okay. do with it. And then some scholars still think that 36 all the way down to the end of chapter 11 is still talking about the historical figure Antiochus. And uh, we will leave the sermon notes listener to go, and you can look at commentary on that. Uh, I, I think... Um, it's very complicated um, as to how you kind of break that down. Uh, I won't have time to mention any of this uh, in the sermon because we just won't have time. Um, but I, uh, we want to acknowledge there are some that would take verse 36 and following and say uh, this is a future figure. And uh, as they peer into Revelation, they would map that onto uh, this beast that rises up from the sea or the man of lawlessness, as Paul describes him in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, we just went... Like, holy cow, all over the place. <laughs> and we haven't even got to 12. <laughs> Questions on that? <laughs> so many, but... It's so crazy, I know. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll Ted, save my questions I for after. Yeah, I told Tad. Uh, I told Tad. Uh, he said. He said, "Should we do some prep on this? Let's just see what happens here." And here you are, thirty minutes in. Sermon yeah, notes, listener. If you made it this far, uh, the last piece is this: um, this final vision that Daniel has after he's told to seal the vision up. Um, he's told, verse nine, Daniel, these words are concealed and sealed until the end time. Many will be purged. Many will act wickedly, but. For the, from the time the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Oh, but blessed is the one who keeps and waits to the 1,335 days. Um, some scholars think that all of this language is referring to the desecration of the temple by Antiochus Epiphanes IV in the 160s BC. There are, uh, and it was about a three-and-a-half-year period, which that, that lines up with our, our numbers here. Uh, other scholars see that this is not referring to something that happened in the past, but a future uh, figure who will come and uh, desecrate a future temple. And they would say that would be a three-and-a-half-year period. Um, by the way, the three-and-a-half is making sense of this time, times and a half time, 1,000. They're all roundabout ways of saying three-and-a-half um, We'll cover some more of that in our Daniel 9 talk in a few weeks. Um, still others think that what uh, Daniel has in mind, Jesus predicts to take place when the Romans come in and desecrate the temple in 70 AD. Uh, as, we, as we process it, uh, perhaps the answer is yes, that what Daniel is reflecting on here is 
a particular experience historically that will both be, we might say, re-uploaded and made even worse in the Roman era and some future Antichrist era. Kind of a pattern. A pattern or a type. Um, And you're going to, as the Sermon Notes listener, we're trying to help expose you to kind of the different views here. You can, you can, there's, there's charity on uh, which way Mm -hmm. to go. I think there's different ways of reading it to make sense of it. Uh, And some would say this is a future, uh, a, a future period where the temple will be desecrated in the future by a future coming Antichrist. Um, regardless of how you go, good luck this week with your with your small group. Here's what I'd like to. I, I'm being a little bit uh, silly with that. Here's sure. here's what I'd like to encourage you. Um, good luck with all yeah, that. Good luck with all that. You're gonna end this. Yeah, that's, I'm just gonna walk off the stage and I might just quit my job after this one. Um, but here here's here in, in all seriousness, I think um, if we can help our people to see. Your battle's not against flesh and blood, but against the, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, the spiritual forces that are at work in the world. Do we pray like that? Mm. Do we recognize that? The second thing is, chapter 11, do we see that Yahweh is the king of, the, of, of history? Do we recognize that we're not randomly floating on a space rock as homo sapien creatures trying to make it? That there is a there is a creator who is king of culture, even when it looks like the crazy Antiochuses are winning on the, in the world, and we see that in our world right now. And I think we don't we don't pray for the dark forces that are at work, mm. and we don't we often fail to see that Yahweh's in control. And lastly, the the hope of resurrection in verses chapter twelve, two, and three that could be just a fleeting hope, unless the tomb is empty, of course. If the tomb is empty, then our hope of resurrection is as secure as you and I sitting before each other right now on the table that we are leaning on. The resurrection of Jesus secures that the spiritual powers have been defeated. I mean, that's a mind bender right mm-hmm. there. Jesus defeated the spiritual powers. Even he, when it seems like even when it seems like Rome's in charge. Yeah. yeah, think about it. He goes with the cross, and they're all expecting him to get a sword and take on Rome. Instead, he gets the sword on him. He gets speared. He gets crucified. And he the darkness covers him in the crucifixion. Uh, the way to say it is this. The spiritual powers took their best swing at him and exhausted themselves on him. And it seems like they won, right? He does die. It's not like it's a, a figment yeah. of our imagination. He really was put in the tomb. But the resurrection is the sign from Yahweh that in so doing, they have been shown to be impotent, those spiritual powers. Mm-hmm. As Colossians would say, he stripped them he publicly stripped them of, their of their power. And what a confidence. Like, yeah, that's good. Wow. I kinda, that, that gives a little more oomph, I guess, to even chapter 12, 13, the way, the way this book ends, even just in the, but go your own way, and until the end, you'll rest or die. And then at the end of the days, you'll rise to receive what you've been allotted. And that seems like such a, just a, Kind of a jarring yeah. stop, and yet for all that Daniel has seen and that we're considering, there is a sense of it. Maybe it is that simple of just keep living in faithful presence, and one day you may die, but we look forward to the resurrection mm-hmm. where we will receive our inheritance in Christ, and and that is it. I don't know, as Gandalf would say, that's, that is a hopeful thought. <laughs> you like love quoting is, Gandalf at any time. I do. Yeah, I mean, what Daniel sees through a, a, a glass dimly, we might say. Yeah, this idea of resurrection, we can look back on Jesus' empty okay. tomb, and then the book of Revelation absolutely is picking up on mm-hmm. this. The sealed scroll, the sealed, yeah, yeah. 
Well, it's being opened by Jesus. Which is so cool just from a awesome, literary yeah, perspective yeah. That, that John picks up so many of these cool images. All over Daniel. I, yeah. I, uh, to, to have been a Jew reading this that was familiar with these writings at the time when that letter was first received would, it, would have been so... They'd be like, just, oh, yes. I get oh, it. Yeah, I get all amazing. the references, yeah. these inside yeah, totally. language. And uh, it's been fun getting to learn this uh, as a church to make a lot of the New Testament writings much more mm-hmm. appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot here. If you've got questions, let us know. We'd love to walk through it more with you. Um, but we want to celebrate that Jesus has conquered not just sin and not just death, but he has defeated the powers that enslave this world. And he is at work in his church through his spirit, pushing back against that darkness right now. And do we let's let's have a sense of urgency about yeah. that as we go about this Sunday. And so how much more exciting does that make Easter? Oh yeah, Easter's coming many, in light of that. Yeah, we got. Um, so we could keep going. We could go for hours on this. I'm really excited and nervous about this talk because there's a lot to cover. But uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to Sermon Notes. Have a great week.